One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's 19 days since Hamas launched a horrific attack on Israel. Since then, Israel has retaliated with a relentless bombardment of Gaza. Screams of fear echo from the clouds of dust cloaking the Sheikh Radwan neighborhood in Gaza City as families escape another Israeli airstrike. The head of the UN has called for a ceasefire as fuel is running out in Gaza and the hospitals are unable to cope. The airstrikes continue to pound the Gaza Strip all over it, from north to south, with the brutality and more tragedies are unfolding, pushing hospitals into the brink of collapse as this is beyond the capabilities of hospitals to accommodate and to deal with. The health ministry says many of the casualties are women and children. President Biden has urged Israel to delay its ground invasion of Gaza as negotiations with Hamas for the release of Israeli hostages continue. 85-year-old Yeshevet Lifshitz spoke out about her ordeal. She was released alongside 79-year-old Nurit Cooper. They were taken by motorcycle, she said. They were beaten until they reached that tunnel system in Gaza. There, they took away her watch and her jewelry. We have to remember, this is an 85-year-old woman. At the time of recording, the estimated death toll stands at 5,800 Palestinians and 1,400 Israelis. If a ground invasion goes ahead, the numbers on both sides will only increase. Is this utter devastation the reaction that Hamas was expecting? And if not, what did they think would happen? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times, I'm Manveen Rana. Today, does Hamas have a strategy? My name is Louise Callahan. I'm the Middle East correspondent for the Sunday Times, and I'm currently in Tel Aviv, where I've been reporting on this war for the last two weeks. Louise, if we go back to the horrific events of October the 7th, when Israel suddenly came under attack... Just give us a sense, as somebody who's covered the region, 
for a while. Give us a sense of how unusual that was for Hamas, how it compares with other attacks that they've launched in the past. I think that no one ever doubted that Hamas would want to conduct a a horrifying, bloody attack on Israel. It's launched suicide bombings, which have killed Israeli civilians. It's called for the destruction of the state of Israel. But I don't think anyone, even Israeli officials, you know, in their wildest dreams would have thought that they could do this, that they could do an act so effective and sort of multi-vectored and repugnant. I don't think anyone had any idea. The impression that I get here in Israel is that everyone's completely taken aback. I mean, this fence around Gaza, it was thought completely impregnable. You know, they'd have, the Israelis had invested in all this technology and, you know, people in Gaza, they would say, well, you can't buy a cup of coffee without the Shembet knowing. You know, it, it's the, there was this belief that the Israelis were kind of omniscient and that they had this all locked down. So the fact that Hamas broke out on so many different parts of the fence and that they did this, you know, they attempted attacks by sea, they flew out with paragliders. This was extraordinarily unusual to, to the point where it was beyond anything that anyone in the Israeli security establishment or in the army had actually imagined. And Louise, do we have a sense yet of what Hamas's strategy was? I mean, we know we've heard that perhaps some of the leadership didn't even know it was going to happen. They're sort of sitting in Doha. Do we know, was this planned out from the top? Was it given the go ahead? And what was their strategy? What were they hoping to achieve with this attack? Well, I think it's so important at the moment when there's, as you say, some Hamas leaders have come out and said, that they they didn't know it was happening until really late in the day. But I'm taking all statements by Hamas leadership at the moment with about a shovel full of salt. There's no reason at all for them to say, yeah, we've been planning this for years. Go us. I think that there's just lots of people lying just about everywhere. But what would their strategy have been? What would they have been aiming to achieve, I think is, is pretty clear. So they wanted people around the world to pay attention to their cause. They wanted to damage their enemy, Israel, And I think they would have wanted to take hostages, bring them back and engineer some kind of mass prisoner exchange. So that seems like something that they would have wanted. The line that they're trying to push, which is just nonsensical, is that, you know, they weren't targeting civilians and that any civilians that were tortured and killed, it was done by sort of rogue elements, whoever that might be. I mean, that's patently ridiculous. There's loads of footage which shows Hamas fighters, people dressed as Hamas fighters, committing unspeakable crimes to civilians. So Mm. I think... Their aim was for in a world that had become accepting of the status quo of this awful situation in Palestine, both the the Israeli occupation of the West Bank and the kind of de facto siege of Gaza by Israel and Egypt. They wanted people to pay attention to it. They wanted to get their prisoners back. They wanted to shake up the status quo. They wanted to damage Israel. And it's really interesting that you sort of point out there that one of the tactics was to take prisoners so that they would be able to negotiate exchanges and negotiate for things in the future. There's been a lot of speculation here that that was a tactic to draw Israel into Gaza, to draw them into a ground incursion. How does that sound to you from where you are? Well, one thing I do know is that if Israel does move into this incredibly densely populated area of the Israeli army, which at this point has a lot of reservists in it. And I've met some of the reservists and, you know, like, while there are a lot of highly trained people in the Israeli army, some of these people are not, that they do not have huge amounts of military experience. If they send loads of them in on the ground to Gaza, it's going to be a bloodbath. You know, thousands of Israelis are going to die if this happens. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, that would, that, that would certainly 
make sense if Hamas was thinking of it that way. You know, in these types of very intensive urban warfare, you know, I, I covered the battle against ISIS in Mosul, for example. I mean, you can, if there are tunnels, if there are, you know, half damaged apartment blocks where you can hide out, then one guy with an RPG can hold up a column for a day. You know, like this is this is absolutely horrifying, grinding urban warfare that the Israeli army would be facing if they did go into Gaza. And Hamas would, knowing the territory, having their tunnels and having been able to set up beforehand, would certainly have an advantage there. We'll hear more from Louise on the ground in just a moment. But first, to understand a bit more about Hamas we turn to an academic who specialises in the region. My name is Dr. Tobias Borg. I'm the Senior Research Fellow for Middle East Security Studies at the Royal United Services Institute. Tobias, just taking a step back from all the horrors of what's been happening over the last couple of weeks, just taking us back to the start of this, really, would you be able to tell us who are Hamas and how did they come to be? Hamas is a uh, political and military organization, a Palestinian political and military organization that emerged in the late 1980s as part of the Palestinian resistance against Israel or the Palestinian opposition against Israel. It emerged out of the Muslim Brotherhood and effectively became the Palestinian branch, specifically the Gaza-based branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood initially had a sort of primarily political and and religious, almost cultural opposition to Israel. But then Hamas was established to give it a more political and eventually also military shape, if you will. As such, it emerged both in opposition to Israel, but also to set itself apart from other Palestinian organizations, specifically the Palestinian liberalization organization, the PLO. And it's important to point out their difference. You know, there are different camps within the Palestinian cause. And just explain how Hamas is obviously the ruling force in Gaza, but it's very different to the West Bank. Absolutely. So, like I said, Hamas is effectively one of many or of several Palestinian political organizations and military organizations too. What sets it apart is that it has a an Islamist ideology, i.e. it defines its struggle against Israel both through a sort of, you can almost describe it as a nationalist struggle, but also as a religious struggle. So this notion of, and its objective is a the establishment of an Islamic state. Important to differentiate here, that doesn't necessarily mean the same as a group like ISIS might have promoted, but this notion that you have a political entity, a state that is run on the basis of Islamic law in line with basically with the political ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood. And that's what sets Hamas apart. And how much support do they have in the Palestinian community? I mean, when was this last held to an an election or any kind of poll? Yeah, it's difficult to assess the exact levels of support. The last time we had an election in the Palestinian territories was in 2006. And then Hamas did win a majority in parliamentary elections. The other side, the loser in those elections, essentially, the Fatah, which is the other 
major political force in the Palestinian territories, did not want to accept that election outcome. And the international community also did not want to accept that election outcome. And what what ensued was essentially a sort of intra-Palestinian civil war in which Hamas won control over Gaza and was able to expel pretty much any other political force, certainly anyone from Fatah, from the Palestinian Authority. And ever since, Hamas has been in effective control of Gaza. Hamas also has a presence in the West Bank, but there it's much smaller, much less influential. And what exactly is Hamas's worldview? You know, what is it that they stand for? Primarily, Hamas stands for opposition and resistance to Israel. And in its founding charter, it declared as its objective, A, the essentially the liberation of all of what it's called Palestine, which does include all of what today is Israel, i.e. the defeat of Israel, and B, the establishment of a Islamic Palestinian state in that territory. So that was the the sort of the overall objectives. Now, over time, Hamas has, at various points, at least indirectly accepted that there might be a possibility for a two-state solution, i.e. for the establishment of a Palestinian state in less territory alongside an Israeli state. It has never directly recognized Israel or Israel's right to exist, but it has on several occasions signed up to agreements that seem to suggest an acceptance of something less than the sort of very maximalist objectives that I outlined. Now, it is important to note that Hamas is not a monolith, that there are different factions within Hamas. And so when I say that they are that Hamas has on some occasions accepted less maximalist objectives, it is somewhat unclear whether that was just particular political leaders that accepted this or whether the organization as a whole did. But it's interesting, you know, as you say, when they stood for election too, they've often signed up to a manifesto which talks about going back to the 1967 borders, which is definitely a a two-state solution. It acknowledges that Israel does have a presence in the region alongside a Palestine. It's also interesting in their relationship with Netanyahu. Tell us a bit about that. How, how have Hamas and Netanyahu rubbed along over the years? Well, they have coexisted and they've sort of coexisted in a way in which one could argue that one was useful politically for the other. What I mean by that is that, you know, Hamas was a major opponent of the Palestinian Authority which made Netanyahu's argument that there was no Palestinian partner for any form of a peace settlement kind of credible. And at the same time, Netanyahu and his, over the years, increasingly right-wing policies were also one that, you know, fed into Hamas's narratives. And has he allowed Hamas to gain certainly money and also with it, I suppose, power in the region. On this subject, I would refer you to some really interesting coverage in Haaretz, one of Israel's most prominent newspapers, that has detailed how over the years 
Netanyahu against some opposition, certainly within the Israeli political and security establishment, has advocated for a somewhat less confrontational approach to Hamas in Gaza. But I think, you know, I certainly personally wouldn't want to make the direct argument that he has somehow supported the creation of Hamas in the way that it was able to attack Israel on the 7th of October. It is fascinating, though, with, you know, sort of as ever with the, with the Middle East, the more you look, the more complicated it is. It's not as simple as it first seems. There are these political relationships that have built up over time. Do we have a sense of how popular Hamas is with the Palestinian people now? You know, obviously, there hasn't been an election for many years. How much support will they have in the actions that they've committed over the last few weeks? It's an incredibly difficult question to answer for multiple reasons. One, as we discussed, there haven't been elections since 2006. So Palestinians have not been able to sort of cast their votes and thereby declare their support for one group or the other. There's also, whilst there is some polling amongst populations in Gaza, how reliable that is has to be questioned since Hamas, you know, fully controlled Gaza and ruled it with an iron fist, i.e. did not allow significant dissent. So it is really difficult to assess. Now, some of the polling that does exist and that sort of tries to make up for some of those restrictions has found that Hamas does have significant support in Gaza and, and elsewhere, but also, interestingly, that, that some of that support has been declining. If we're talking about the Palestinians in Gaza, when I've reported that before, Hamas are not popular among the people that I've spoken to. They're seen as sort of repressive extremists who get involved in your daily life in unpleasant ways and they're corrupt and they don't treat people fairly. They'll sort of imprison you if you tweet something bad about them or if you say something bad about them like they're not I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of popular support in Gaza for them obviously some people support them but there's a feeling I think in Gaza that they've become much more oppressive over time but now the anger is towards Israel you know and it's not the case that people in Gaza don't care about Israeli lives like of, of course they do I have friends there who I've spoken to who've expressed their great sadness at the killing of civilians, but that seems kind of far away. The immediate thing that people in Gaza are seeing is the Israeli strikes that hit their homes or that have forced them to flee. So that's that's what they're thinking about. They're saying stop the Israeli bombing. And do they blame Hamas for having incited that? No one's said that to me. That's not to say that they don't. I, I think there is a great... Great fear of Hamas, great anger towards them, but the greater anger at the moment is towards Israel for striking Gaza. I can't speak for all the people in Gaza. There's a huge range of opinions there. I'm just talking about the people that I've spoken to. It's not to say that they like Hamas, but the immediate threat to their lives, to their families' lives, to their children's lives are the Israeli strikes. So that is currently what they're calling for. They're saying stop the bombing. They're not saying demilitarize Hamas. They're saying stop the bombing and then we'll figure this out. Coming up, how might this all end? What would eradicating Hamas look like? And what, in Hamas's terms, would be judged a victory? That's in just a moment. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Louise, as things stand, you know, Gaza has been bombed ever since October the 7th. We're told there could be a ground incursion happening any moment. We know there are already thousands of Palestinians dead since that initial attack. How does Hamas want this to end now? I don't know what the end plan is for Hamas. And I also, even more concerningly, don't know what the end plan is for the Israelis. And I don't know if they know either. So if you ask Israeli officials, what's the plan here? They'll say, we want to destroy Hamas once and for all. And, you know, once and for all, I don't think any terror group has ever been destroyed once and for all. I don't think that's that that's possible. I don't know what the day after planning is. I think there have been some reports by Israeli officials that for the day after, all ties will be cut. There'll be no more of this letting Gazan workers travel into Israel. Uh, be no more funding coming in. I think they're, they're looking to really shut that off. I mean, Hamas's only plan, presumably, is to swap the hostages for some kind of concession that would allow them to survive. So whether that's getting lots of their leaders who are in Israeli prisons back, whether that's a negotiated ceasefire, I don't know. But I think that they have very few options at the moment. Sure, Hamas can, they have rockets and some of them systems supplied by Iran. But they, you know, at the moment, they're fighting against an incredibly, incredibly well-supplied army who, I mean, Hamas don't have planes. They don't have this incredibly heavy weaponry that Israel has. And for now, Israel seems relatively content to sit around the borders of Gaza and unleash hell on them. And now, where things stand, you know, what is the best case scenario for Hamas at this stage? You know, is it that eventually this leads to some kind of negotiation, leads to talk of a two-state solution again? What, what is the best they can hope for? I think the best case scenario for Hamas is that they manage to swap the hostages in return for a ceasefire. But that is not something. I, I think it's just extraordinarily unlikely that Israel would ever agree to that. The level of public anger, fear, terror here is overwhelming. You know, after these months of protests in Israel, people have really, really united behind the flag. And as much as so many people completely despise Netanyahu, then I think that there is a strong desire 
to see Hamas obliterated. I think that it will be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to try and to step back from that at the moment. And what's the worst case for Hamas? What's the worst that can happen? Continued heavy strikes, ground invasion, the loss of just countless, countless civilian lives, Gazan lives, and the complete degradation of all of their power. And we've seen in the last week or so a lot of displacement in Gaza. Could they actually lose territory as a result of this? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, I mean, as part of that worst case scenario, I think Israeli reoccupation of the Gaza Strip, a complete full Israeli military occupation is definitely part of one of the worst things that could happen for Hamas and also something that seems relatively likely if they do indeed launch a ground invasion. Could they lose control of Gaza altogether? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they could absolutely lose control of Gaza altogether. Gaza could be annexed into being part of Israel. All of these options are on the table. And in the meantime, we've seen further attacks and illegal occupations in the West Bank too. Absolutely. Yeah, we were in the West Bank in the last week. And it, honestly, the, it is boiling. The, the tensions there, they're already so, so high. Um, it's three million Palestinians living there. That's about 450,000 Jewish settlers, some of whom believe that they have this you know, kind of biblical imperative to live in what they call the lands of Judea and Samaria. These people have been backed by Netanyahu and his, his allies for a long time. And now they're also being armed. So many of them have signed up to the reserve forces. Some of them are just volunteers who have just been given guns by the army. And so the level of violence and tension there is, is really just growing every day. And, you know, the Israelis launched airstrikes, I think, for the first time in 20 years on Janine refugee camp in the West Bank. Uh, there have been horrifying incidences of settler violence, you know, people just driving into Palestinian villages and sort of shooting them up. The IDF, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, has also been accused of just shooting live fire at civilians who are, who are protesting. So incredibly tense times, and there is every possibility, according to the people that I spoke to in the West Bank last week, of a third intifada or uprising. So Israel could end up fighting this war on two fronts with an uprising in the West Bank against the Israeli military occupation and also in Gaza. Louise, where you are at the moment, are you hearing any hope for a more positive solution to all of this? It's hard to say what a positive solution looks like at this point. I'm not sure there is one. The, the, the level of the loss of life, the anger, completely understandably on the Israeli side, it has just left the Israeli public in a, a situation where people want the complete, full degradation of Hamas. And obviously opinions differ, but I was at a funeral in the West Bank uh, last week for a, a man whose daughter had been killed. She was at the, the festival, uh, Supernova Festival next to Gaza, and she'd been murdered by Hamas. So he was a, they were a Jewish settler family in the West Bank. And he referred to Hamas as the Amalek, the Amalekites from the Bible, the kind of historical enemy of the, of the Israelites. And he said that every man, woman and child in Gaza must be wiped off the face of this earth. We have no other options. This is the moral thing to do, he said. Wow. We need to destroy them. So there are, there are absolutely calls for ethnic cleansing, which are happening now. And it's, I mean, frankly, it's just absolutely terrifying. It's just incredibly, incredibly sad, I think, to see all of these horrific acts happening. Both, you know, I have Israeli friends of friends who are killed 
during these horrifying Hamas attacks and speaking to survivors afterwards some of these stories I've, I mean I've reported on unfortunately uh, I've spent the, the last seven years reporting in this region and reported on the Yazidi genocide or reported on the crimes by ISIS and these the terrible things that Hamas did are you know up there with some of the most horrifying acts committed um, in modern humanity it's it's horrifying to hear that these can still happen at the same time I'm talking to my friends in Gaza and more of them are going offline every day. Um, hear about journalists being killed, people people you know being killed, and that's also horrifyingly brutal. The bloodlust and the the desire to go to war is, while well, you can of course understand the anger, the fury, and the fear, the I think the results of that could be more brutal than anyone could ever imagine who has not seen the results of wars before. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Sunday Times Middle East correspondent, Louise Callahan, and Senior Research Fellow for Middle East Security Studies at the Royal United Services Institute, or RUSI, Dr Tobias Bork. If you're a subscriber, you can read Louise's latest dispatches from Tel Aviv in this weekend's Sunday Times or at thetimes.co.uk. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel, the executive producer was Fiona Leach and sound design was by Hannah Varrell. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.